That's an appropriate clap over here, whoever that was. That's a woo, man. Yeah, you can clap for God. That's cool. Yeah. Behold our God, seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Oh, let's adore him in his word this morning. Let's go to Matthew chapter 14 if you got a Bible. Go there with me. Matthew chapter 14. If you don't know me, my name is Brad. I'm the student ministries pastor here at the church. Our lead pastor, Pastor Pat. Uh, he was here for the first service, and this service he is uh, checking out High Point Church in Altoona over there at one of our church plants, and uh, so that is why I'm here. And if you're visiting with us, come back next week and hear Pastor Pat as he continues in our Roman series, but it's great to have you here. Um, we believe as a church, even in this point in between Christmas and New Year's, we're not there, you're kind of this in-between stage, Christmas is done. But we believe that even this morning, we believe it every week, but we believe that God's word can change your life right now. God's word can pierce through your hard heart with the light of Jesus, and it can challenge you and convict and instruct you, so um, we're going to do that this morning. Um, Chapter 14 of Matthew, let's read this together, verses 13 and 14. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. This is the word of the Lord. Let's thank him for it and ask his blessing on it this morning. God, we thank you for your word. Thanks that you used godly men carried along by your spirit to write it down and have it preserved for us. God, we thank you that we can trust it, that we can know it, and that you speak to us through it. God, as, as one has said, we asked you this morning to, to throw your weight around in this place this morning. Show us who's boss. Mess us up if you need to, uh, to make us more like you. And may you also comfort us and quiet us by your love and your compassion for us, God. And may we see uh, people to evaluate the compassion of the God and come to know you even today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So a couple summers ago, myself, parents, and uh, some students from our student ministry, we went to the island of Haiti on a missions trip there. Had a great week of serving, sharing the gospel, doing all kinds of stuff. And at the end of the week, we had this uh, beach day where we got to go out and kind of celebrate as a team together. You're thinking, you went to the beach on a a missions trip? It's like, it's not like Sandals, Jamaica. We're in Haiti, okay? Uh, So we get there, and while I was on the trip, I was going to miss my wife's birthday. It's a big one, too. It's ended in an O. And uh, she's not in here. She turned 30 uh, a couple of years ago. I'm, I'm going to stop. Sorry. Uh, but she, I knew that I was going to miss her birthday. And so I thought, I need to do something special to let her know I'm thinking of her and that I really do am sad that I'm going to miss it. So I thought about it and decided that I was going to write in the sand Happy birthday, Mandy. And then when we, I didn't have any cell phone reception, but when we flew back to Newark on her birthday, I was going to send it to her. So she got this happy birthday greeting from me. And so I got down and I'm there and I'm, I'm drawing the sand. I think I had a stick. 
and I'm writing, you know, happy birthday, and I, and I feel this presence behind me, and I look back, and there's this Haitian vendor that's selling things, and uh, we get to talking, and he, I'm telling him, he's like, well, what's this for, and, and he's telling me about, uh, about his family and things, and then, in that moment, the Haitian vendor looks at me, and he's like, you can kind of sense that he had this feeling of, man, I want to do something nice for this guy. So he looks at me and he says, hey, come on over here and why don't you pick something out from here on me to take home and give to your wife. And here I was on the missions trip and this guy was being compassionate to me who had much less than I had given me free stuff from the stuff that he lives on. Don't you just love compassion? And maybe here, uh, if you've watched 60 Minutes, you see like, features of Bono and stuff like that, being compassionate. You hear about people that are giving their lives for others to just serve and to be compassionate people. You love that, right? You love hearing those stories. There's something about it that makes you feel good and even motivates you to want to do the same. But that's not the end of the story in Haiti. What I found out that it was actually wasn't an act of compassion it was a sales trick. And after I walked away thinking, wow, this is really cool, he goes, oh, my friend, my friend, come, come back, come back. And I was like, oh, no, what did I do? And he says, hey, now that I have given you something for your wife, how about you buy something for me so I can feed my wife? I was like, you dirty. <laughs> that was really good. Like, I was impressed by it. I was like, good work, man. I bought something. It, both things broke before I even got home. But, but don't, when the, compassion is a sales trick, we feel kind of like, are you really being compassionate to me because you care about me? Or are you trying to get something out of me so that later you can be like, hey, remember that time I was compassionate to you? And like, oh, yeah, I owe you one, right? Is that how compassion is supposed to work? No, that's not compassion at all. That's using each other. And so we all long for this true, this pure compassion, which I do believe is found, and it comes, it flows out of the compassion of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this this morning, we'll look at the great love that Jesus has for us and let that pure passion motivate us to encourage you to see the compassion of Christ and to motivate us to show the same kind of compassion. So we're coming off of this Advent season. The baby that was born, the God-man, has now become a 30-something-year-old um, man. Uh, he has lived a perfect life. And now he's about a year out living under the shadow of the cross, knowing that he'll be crucified in about a year's time. And where we're picking up here in this, this text is the feeding of the 5,000 men. And it's the, the catalyst miracle of Jesus' ministry. It's, it's the only miracle that is mentioned in all four Gospels that we find in the Bible. And it says that he fed 5,000 men. Probably there was an additional 5,000 women and possibly even more than 5,000 children that are there. So we're talking Jesus feeds supernaturally 15,000 people at one time. And it's a miracle that flowed from compassion. As we just read, we saw this passage that Jesus gets out of the boat and he sees the crowds and he is moved with compassion. 
Mark tells us that when he got out, he saw the crowds and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Just wandering aimlessly, didn't have any direction, and it broke his heart. This word compassion is a splunk nizomai. It's like if you get something kind of stuck in your throat and you're like splunk nizomai, okay? That's how you say it. And it's where we get the English word spleen, okay? And really what splunk nizomai is, is compassion from the gut, Right? So like your spleen, your bowels, that type of thing, right? That's what it's talking about here. Because in the Hebrew uh, culture, their center of their emotions what not, was not the heart like ours. But it was actually uh, down here in the bowel regions. I think that would be confusing, though. It'd be like, was that the tacos or I really feel bad? Okay, never mind. Okay. But it really, it makes sense, right? I mean, when you're happy, when you're sad, when you feel pain, when you're excited, you feel it down here, don't you? I love scaring people. Like when I was a kid, like it was my favorite thing to do. Like just the anticipation of, of waiting behind a corner, knowing that somebody was coming around and you're doing like, you're getting the stance to where you're going to jump out and just freak them out. I just to my brother Chuck all the time because he's like the most skittish, jumpy person you'll ever meet. Like if you're watching a movie and like someone opens the door, he's like one of those, you know, does one of those things. So I'm waiting here for him and like you jump out, he, he like, he's like, he'd be like, you know, I do one of those things, but he's really cool. So he'd be like, you didn't scare me. I mean, oh yeah, you just naturally do this when you walk down the hallway, right? But what do you do? He would, he would hold his stomach, right? He was scared. He was, he was, he was uh, for a time, he felt it in there. And this is what Jesus, in a, in a serious way, here's the point. Splunk nizomai means to suffer with, to enter into their pain. So when Jesus sees these people, it's not just this analytical, I'm God, I'm supposed to respond with compassion, But his heart broke with them. He felt their suffering, and that moved him to compassion. Now, in a sense, we would expect this from Jesus, right? He is God. He's the perfect Savior. But I think if we look deeper into the surroundings of this passage, we'll start to see kind of be blown away by the surroundings of this and we'll see just what kind of compassion this really was. So let's look at this. Let's go up to chapter 14, verse 3. Okay, we're going to look at the events that are are happening here. It says this, For Herod had seized John, that's John the Baptist, and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. So John was calling out Herod, For his unlawful marriage, and so he gets put in prison. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people, because they held him to be a prophet. So he's got this tension of he wants to kill him, but he knows there'll be an uprising if he does. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company, and it pleased Herod, a seductive dance. And in his lust, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother who doesn't like John the Baptist, says, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oath and his guest, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came, and he took the body and buried it. 
and they went and told Jesus. Now these flow together, even though your Bibles probably separate them. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. So John's disciples, they come and tell Jesus, he's dead, he's been beheaded, and Jesus gets away. He goes into a boat. Mark tells us that he takes his disciples along with him, and he gets away to a desolate place. Now, maybe under the threat of Herod because of what he could do. He was, his time had not yet come, but that wasn't the main reason because Jesus said, no one takes my life. I willingly lay it down. But he gets away to contemplate and to mourn the death of his friend and the loss of his cousin, John the Baptist. And in this, we see Jesus' humanity as he gets away and feels that hurt and the pain of losing a loved one. Most of you probably in this room have felt that weight, that pain of, of losing someone that you've loved. When, my, when I was 11 years old, my grandmother died on Christmas Eve. We were opening gifts and having a great time, and then she was gone. Husband or wife, a child, maybe sick or something else, or maybe even a, a miscarriage that you've experienced. Jesus has been there. He feels it. He knows what it feels like. I mean, this was, this was uh, John, his cousin. Their moms were pregnant together at the same time. He's the forerunner of Christ. He baptized Jesus. And he dies because of this rash vow that Herod made in his lust. And so Jesus, he gets away. And he goes to this place called Bethsaida. It's on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, about a mile off the shore, there's this large grassy hillside uh, from the town. And where'd you, it would have been a place where people went for recreation, a time to get away, uh, to be away from the, the cities and things like that. And Jesus goes here for some solitude and also some time away to teach and to be with his disciples who were most dear to him. But by this time, the popularity of Jesus was out of control. It was kind of like a rock star status. Like everybody knew where he was at all times, right? I mean, if they had Twitter, people would be tweeting about that Jesus is down at this restaurant and things like that. Everywhere he went, there were large crowds that were following him. And so he goes to get away, but the people see him going and they start running along the shore following him and watching him where he goes. You see, Galilee, the region that he was in, is very small. It's only 50 miles long, 25 miles wide, but there are over 204 towns inside of it. The least of which was 15,000 people, so it all kind of flowed together. Kind of like Urbandale and Johnston, right? Sometimes I'm riding through there and I was, my wife's like, are we in Johnston or Urbandale? I was like, I don't know, right? And he said, oh, we're in Urbandale. Or like my, my father-in-law, he was here and he had to go to Barnes & Noble. And I tell him it's in West Des Moines. And he's looking up on his phone and he's like, this is not in West Des Moines. It says it's in Clive. I'm like, well, yeah, same thing, right? 
Don't offend you if you live in Clive and you don't think it's the same thing. Don't take offense to that, okay? Uh, but it's the same. The word spread quickly. Everything flowed together. And so they're running along the shore and they're like, there's Jesus. He's coming. There he is. And they're like knocking on doors, telling everybody. The parents are like grabbing their kids and running with them on the shoulders. They're like, come on, we got to get a front row seat, right? And like, um, it's just everybody's trying to get there really fast. And it says the text says they arrived before Jesus even got there. So if you can imagine this, like Jesus is pulling up on shore and everybody's like, hey, Jesus, we're waiting for you. Come on, we beat you here. What took you so long, right? And Jesus' response, he gets out of the boat. He's like, you jerks, what are you doing? Do you know what I have been through today? Um, that, that would have been more our reaction, right? Not Jesus's. Actually, it says that they were doing so much work that didn't even have time to eat. And so in the midst of the pain, of the hurt and the struggle and the hunger, Jesus comes out and he looks at the crowd and he has compassion on them. And he heals their sick and then even feeds them dinner. Compassion is a, a mark of Jesus' ministry, not just in, in this instance, but another example, Matthew 23, verse 37, tells us this. Jesus looking over Jerusalem and weeping, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather you, your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Jesus looks out over the city and he's, oh, my desire is to bring you all in and to keep you safe and to even sacrifice for you my life. This would have made sense in this rural context. Farmers would have been familiar with hens doing this and things, but Philip Yancey tells a story about a farmer he knew that he came out and he had a barn fire and the, didn't get the animals out and he walks through and he sees the mother hen sitting on the ground and she's charred and she's dead. And he kind of goes over and kind of nudges her a little bit and when he, she falls over, outruns three or four alive and well baby chicks. She had sacrificed her life for them. And this is what Jesus says, I long to do this for you. I long to give my life in your place. And that longing would come true, wouldn't it? As Jesus spread his arms to all who would believe on the cross and he bore the fiery wrath of God so that you and I could be brought near to God. This is the loving, excellent, awesome God. But I want you to notice though, even though at this point in time, um, he is, his time alone has been trumped by needy people. Jesus still finds time and also gets the disciples to be alone together. Let's look at verse 22 and 23. It says, immediately the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. So Jesus models for us that sometimes people trump our time alone but then there, he models for us still that he still found time to be alone. He still sees the value in that as well, to be alone with the Father. So for some of you that are like, oh, I got to always be ministering. I got to always. Jesus says, no, you need to relax for a little bit. 
Take some time with me and recharge and refresh. So we're talking about um, compassion from the gut. So just kind of midway here as we talk about uh, continuing this compassion, I want us to just kind of do a gut check, if you will. We do this a lot with our students. Uh, Not so much a gut check of, hey, I just had Christmas dinner and I'm looking in the mirror type of gut check, right? But more of a uh, evaluating where are you at in your heart? When the core of who you are, how are you doing on your compassion? And so I just want to propose a couple of points here. And the first one's this. Jesus leaves an example that the circumstances of our life don't determine our compassion. The circumstances of our life don't determine our compassion. Right? Have you been there? If everything's going well, if everything is the way I want it to be, my car is running okay, all the bills are paid, etc. It's like, okay, now I'm ready to show compassion. But Jesus doesn't do that, right? He's at probably one of the lowest points in his life, and he still decides to show compassion. And some of us, like, it's not a death or something like that. It's just the little things in life. It's like, I'm tired. Did you know that I only got seven hours of sleep last night? And I have not ate in three hours. Don't mess with me, all right? I'm in no mood to show compassion right now. Whether you're tired, something tragic has happened, Jesus understands your compassion, but it also doesn't give us an excuse to not look to be a compassionate person as a believer. So how, how are you? Are you known as a compassionate person, believer? Do people see you and know, that, that that person is really compassionate when everything's going well for them? Or are you compassionate so that people say, wow, there's, there's something different about this person. Even in the hard times, they're hurting and they're struggling, but they're still showing compassion. Number two, it's easier to show compassion to those you don't know. Okay? It's easier to show compassion to those you don't know than the ones that you know really well. You know, it's really cool sometimes to be compassionate, to send a text to the Red Cross and donate 10 bucks and stuff like that, but, and that's good. We love missions trips and going out and serving people that we don't know. But, you know, it's sometimes if you go on a missions trip or something like that, which we do every summer with our students, it's like this weird thing that you start turning into this different person that like, likes to hold hands with people all the time. Like, and you're always, like, holding hands and standing in circles and singing, like, oh, compassion, Jesus. You know, I don't know, that probably isn't what you sing. But, you know, kind of that idea of when you're on this trip and you're showing, you're like the most compassionate person on earth when you're on a trip. Because there are people that you're probably not going to see ever again. It's this special time away. And as a team, you're, like, skipping and stuff. And, it's, yeah, you're getting out of your comfort zone and things. But that's not the hard time to show compassion. The hard time to show compassion is when you come home. And you're with those people that you see all the time. When mom says something you don't like. Or dad. And maybe it's your children or, or a coworker that just gets under your skin. You don't like them. Maybe it's other families that you have a hard time being compassionate with. Maybe you would never say this. Maybe you'd think it in your head. If they weren't so weird, it'd be a lot easier to show compassion to them. Or maybe if their family did things more like us, 
then that'd be, that'd be a lot easier. But I just have a hard time showing compassion to someone that doesn't think the same way that I do. Even our own spouses, the ones that we're in a covenant relationship with. Perhaps uh, singles, your roommate, whatever that might be, it's always harder to show compassion to those that you spend lots of time with. Number three, Jesus shows us we can be compassionate to those who don't care about us. Most of the people in this text, in the crowd, they didn't care about Jesus. John 6 tells us that they were just following him because they wanted to see him do a miracle. They wanted to see some signs, wanted to get their sick healed. They just wanted Jesus. They wanted him for the stuff he could do. They didn't really want to worship Christ or get to know him. They were thrill seekers. And and they were coming to see, they just wanted to see this neat stuff that Jesus was going to do. And in fact, John 6, 6 tells us that after this, many of his disciples, this is right after the feeding of the 5,000 in John's account, Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. It's not natural for us to be compassionate to those that don't care about us, right? It's not natural. It has to be something supernatural. Your heart has to be changed by God. It has to be changed completely by him. And let me tell you, you'll fail because you're not Jesus in this passage. You're the disciples that want everybody to go home. You'll fail, but when you look at Christ and you see his compassion, he gives you the ability to not be annoyed when you stand up and look over the cubicles at work, to not be annoyed when you look at the warehouse you work at or wherever that might be and say, oh, these people drive me nuts, but to have your heart broken for them, to see them the way that Jesus sees them. So how do we cultivate this compassion How do we become more compassionate people? Well, it's a daily thing, right? Here's the first way. Ask God for it. Pray to God and say, God, I'm going into a situation right now where it's going to be really hard for me. Would you help me to be compassionate despite the circumstances in my life and despite the people that I'm coming in contact with? Here's the second one. You ready? Focus less on compassion. Instead, focus on Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. You're like, well, if I want to be more compassionate, would I want to focus on compassion? No. Because then you're just like, you're talking, seeing how much you failed and things like that. But if you focus in on Jesus, you are in his word, you're communicating with him, and you're talking back and forth, and his desires start to become your desires, you'll naturally become a more compassionate person because you're growing closer to Jesus. And so you won't just be moved and say, well, that was a nice feeling, but you'll want to act like Jesus did as you become more and more like him. Splunk Nizamai, compassion from the gut. It's only mentioned a, a handful of times in the scriptures. But Jesus uses it three times in parables that he tells. And in fact, he uh, tells one of the most famous parables of all time. Even if you are newer and you don't know much about the Bible, you've probably heard about the prodigal son. The son uh, goes to his father and he says, I'm tired of waiting for you to die. I want your inheritance right now. And so the father says, okay, 
It's yours. You have it. And the son takes it, goes away, lives lavishly, does whatever he wants, uh, lives a life of sin. And after a short amount of time, he spends his entire inheritance. And the father, uh, he's sitting there and he's, he's working, um, feeding pigs. And he says that he longs to eat the food that the pigs have because he's so hungry. But then he comes to his senses and he's like, hey, the servants are eating a lot better than I am. I should just go home and ask my father if I can be a servant. So he gets up and he walks over to his, walking home and he's kind of practicing a speech of, Father, I've sinned, make me one of your servants. And instead of him and the father saying, Father resembles God the Father, right? This is what it says, Luke 15, 20. It says, and he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Compassion. That's the same word right there. That's splonknizomai. Compassion from the gut. And it's interesting that the, Jesus describes the father in this way. That he has great compassion for sinners. That his heart breaks when he sees lost people. And he longs to have you come home. And his, he longs to see you come back so he can hold you in his arms and kiss you. In the midst of all your mess, all your baggage, your past, everything, the Father says, I'm going to have compassion on you. But being a compassionate person will not save you. If you think, if I can be really compassionate and desire uh, to uh, show, be really kind to other people, that will not save you. It will not make you right with God. In fact, it'll do the exact opposite. If you are looking to be made right with God by being a compassionate person, it will not save you, it will damn you. You will not know Jesus and you will die in your sins. In fact, if you're thinking, I'm going to find favor with God by being kind to other people, you're wrong. The only way to find favor with God is to come into a relationship through his son, Jesus Christ. It's the only way. See, that's religion. Religion says that I'm, I do enough good stuff that I can, I can um, make my way to God. That's wrong. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that because you are fully accepted in God through Jesus alone, our desire is to want to be a compassionate person that loves others. My grandfather, uh, he's turned 88 years old a couple days ago, and we were at a Christmas dinner. Forty people were there packed into this one house. And he stands up to pray for the dinner. And uh, our family is a mixture of believers and unbelievers. And in this prayer, he said this. As he's thinking back on his life and recalling God's goodness to him, he says, Thank you, God, that you showed me that religion could never save me. Only Jesus can. He's got it. That's right. Only Jesus can save you. And this Jesus comes and he has compassion that he can suffer with you. In fact, he suffered for you. 
He feels your pain. He knows it, and he hurts with you. And if you're a believer, you can cry out to him. If you're an unbeliever, you can cry out to him for salvation. You see, compassion won't save you, but it might lead you to salvation. Because Romans chapter 2 tells us it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness that he would send his son, and we see that. And because of his overwhelming love towards us, it leads us to want to turn from our sins and turn to Christ. We have a compassionate Savior that looks at us, feels our pain, and loves us. Yeah, he's a holy God, and so the way to get to him is through Jesus, to have your sins forgiven and be made clean by him alone. Let's pray. God, we love you. We sing, behold our God today. We see that you are a compassionate God, that you're a majestic God, that you're a holy God. You don't desire that any should perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's what we need to do. It's not just uh, cleaning my life up. It's a crying out to God and saying, I can't do it. I can't make myself clean. And surrendering and saying, God, make me clean through Jesus alone. Take all my mess. Take all my baggage. You take it. And he dresses you in his righteousness. Gives you the ability then, because you're already already fully accepted by the Father, that you can live and be compassionate. Got to pray for the Christian that's in this room. Not such a compassionate person. I pray for myself as not such a compassionate person. Would I be motivated because of Christ's love and compassion for me to extend that to others? God, we thank you also that you know our hurt. Just like there, you suffer with us. You felt it all, lost a friend. And you can suffer with us, God, and thank you that you suffered for us in our place. And we rejoice in that today, God. And we behold you and say, nothing else compares. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.